0: podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Today's guest in the
1: Sherpa screening room is Lisa Serena Michelle author of Slanted and Disenchanted. She told the Sherpa that she's a fan of the show.
0: That sounds impossible. Maybe she meant she wants to sell him an air
1: conditioner. Wait, you're trying to open the show with an air conditioner joke? Sorry, not a fan. Attention, rebels of the Sherpa-lution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, on Fridays, ladies drink free at the Sherpa Chalet nightclub, provided that you are a Lady Wildebeest.
0: Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa screening room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, here's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Sherpa. Welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room, a presentation of Too Many Podcasts. It is I, Jim the Podcast Sherpa, asking you the one musical question, Is this thing on? Can you hear me? (laughs) I'm actually breaking in a new microphone that the lovely Sherpa Bride gave me for Christmas. And yes, this is my first recorded show for 2022. So welcome, and I hope you guys had a safe end of 2021, even though I know it's a little late to hear it this late in the year. But anyway, it is a very special episode today because the interviews that I'm having with my guest today, her name is Lisa Zarina Mashad, and she is an author and I didn't find her through super publicist Steve Joyner. No, no, she actually reached out to me. She is a fan of the show and you can do that too if you've got something to promote like some music or a book or something like that or whatever. And You do that by emailing me at jimthepodcastsherpa at gmail.com. So anyway, Lisa reached out to me and I found her story was fascinating. So we set up an interview and guess what? We had a lot of fun too. So I really enjoyed getting to know her and I think you will enjoy getting to know her too. So let's hear from our guest today, Lisa Zarina Ashad. Bonjour, monribles <laughs> of the Revolution. Why am I greeting you like this? Because my guest today is actually coming to us from Paris, France, where actually she lives. She's on a vacation. This, this is her home, and she is an author of the book Slanted and Disenchanted, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to get to know her. Her name is Lisa Zarina Mashad, and she's right here. Lisa, welcome to the show!
1: Bonjour. Thank you. Hi, Jim.
0: How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. It's finally good that we meet. We've been corresponding a little back and forth, and I got to know you a little bit, and I got to sample your book, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I haven't finished it yet, but I I like the story. It's very different, and we're going to kind of get into this a little bit more, but I know there seem to be little samples of you in that book, (laughs) From, from what little of you I know.
1: There there might be. It might have been inspired by by some aspects of my life. Um, you know, from being Italian American and loving rock music. So yeah, no, I definitely pulled from my life, but I've never been in a in a rock band and I'm a terrible guitar player. So I think I kind of that's where the fiction comes in. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: so how did a nice girl from New York City end up in Paris? You, you you kind of took the long way, didn't you?
1: I, I did, I did. I, um, I didn't, okay, so I didn't grow up like loving Paris. I didn't have like Eiffel Towers in my, my room and dream of French things at all. Um, I was working, well. I, I moved from New York to Los Angeles first and kind of stumbled through adulthood um, in Hollywood, which was entertaining. I have stories. Um, and then I moved back to New York and I worked in fashion and my bosses were all French. And just for fun, I started to take French classes after work at Alliance Francaise on 60th Street. And then after a few years, I kind of like, why don't I use this French? And, you know, it was right before I turned 30 and I was going to go to Paris for a few months as like a sabbatical. I had been working since I was 13 years old. So I was like, let's just do something really crazy before, you know, I get settled down. And that was 14 years ago. And I never came back. I mean, I go back to see my family, of course, but I, um, I, I'm I'm a Parisian now. I met my husband. I made a baby. My son is French. He prefers speaking French, which is so funny to hear because I didn't think... Uh, I never imagined I'd have a child who would answer me back in French. And we're here and I'm I writer now instead of working in fashion, so, which means that I get to wear sweatpants and I get to eat. <laughs> That's always a plus. <laughs> it's always a plus when we get to consume food and wear sweatpants all day i just call that working from home right now <laughs> i know i think we're all like experiencing that right now the the joys of like not having to get on a train or drive to work i think uh i think we're all very comfortable in our our zoom uh, occupations so
0: what's one thing about living in paris that people should probably know that they don't know
1: okay i okay when i moved here i got such an education on bread you know and i mentioned that in my book um how oh, the father says, there's no bread in America. After living here, I do understand that comment. And that was taken from my bosses at the job that I work, my fashion office. They'd always say, there's no, there's no bread in America. And I would just be like, what are you guys talking about? It's like aisle seven and, you know, and Walbaums or graffitis, whatever supermarket. And they were like, that is not bread. Now living in Paris, I get it. There's not that like that, um, boulangerie, the bakery, um, culture. And not all bakeries are the same and there are good bakeries and there are really bad ones. And you have to find the perfect baguette and every neighborhood you're going to live in is going to have like a choice of five bakeries and you have to try all of them and you find your favorite bakery. And it sounds so stupid, but it's part of the culture. We get bread in the morning and then we get it at night and there's a line out the door and you want to get it when it comes out of the oven. So when you crack it open, the steam comes out. It's, incredible. My son and I, it's our favorite thing. I pick him up from school. We go to our bakery and I'm putting up finger quotes for everyone because it is our bakery. And we know when it comes out of the oven, it's about 5.15 because school gets out at five and you crack that puppy open. It's crusty on the outside, you know, melts in your mouth on the inside and the steam comes out. And that's something that's really special to me. And I think the French would really appreciate me hailing their bread as the best bread ever. So that's one thing I guess uh, I picked up from living here. And also I learned a lot about wine.
0: When you eat the baguette, do you have to put butter on it? or, Or is there a certain thing that you have to put on it to make it like truly a French experience?
1: You, I mean, you don't need to. I I don't. If I'm feeling um, decadent, yeah, I'll, at home I'll put a pat of bu- uh, butter on it from uh, from Brittany, a nice uh, half-salted butter, which is really good. But then, then I end up eating the whole baguette. But then you end up finishing it because it's so good. So I try and hold back. back. Um, but yeah, you can put butter on it, um, jam, confiture, uh, anything really. Or my Italian side likes a little olive oil with some um, salt and pepper in it. And I dip it in that. Okay.
0: So when you were growing up, I mean, there's a lot of different inspirations from what I can see in, uh, like I said, in the short time that I've gotten to know you. I mean, you said you were involved in fashion. You, you, you like music. What were your goals when you were a kid? Did you think about being a writer or was there something else?
1: Um, well, I wrote every day. I've been writing every day since I was like seven years old. My mom bought me a journal and I would just like write everything that happened for the day. You know, my journals are so boring. Even my high school journals, when they're supposed to be kind of juicy, it's like we went to the mall and somebody stole something from Woolworths and the police came. Like, it's like, it's like a reporting of like what happened in 1995 <laughs> at Roosevelt Field Mall. And um, I just always wrote, but I never really thought that it could be like a real job. You know, I was kind of like, well, I write, but what do you really do for a living? And so I worked in, when I was in fashion, I was working in finance and uh, in IT. But I'd go home and write, and then when I moved to Paris, I that was able that was how I was able to make a living because a lot of um, newspapers, magazines, they like to hire um, expatriates to write about the French experience. So that's how I got my toe into writing professionally. And then I wrote this book out of really nowhere. I just had this idea in my head, and I just wrote it, and I finished writing the first draft in like three months. It just like kind of poured out of me.
0: Now, is there going to be more sequels? Or are we going to hear more about these characters,
1: Carla and Peter from Silent and Disenchanted? Yes, we are. I finished the first draft of the second book and now I'm revising. I'm going back into it for the second draft and it should probably take about a year working with my editor. But yeah, where they end up, Does the band continue? Does he go to Paris? Does she find herself? Who knows? It's all in book two. But you said that you you
0: worked in Hollywood? Were you a... Were you a writer in Hollywood or did you do something else? No,
1: I was a background artist, which is fancy talk for saying I was an extra. So if you want to see my work, you can see me kind of behind Angelina Jolie in, in the carnival scene in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the scandalous uh, movie set where I, she got together with Brad. P.S. The extras we knew beforehand. When the story broke, we were all like, yeah, we knew that. Big um, shocker. Big shocker. We were kind of like, it's there was a lot of like flirting on the set and we were like, hmm, interesting. And then when the story broke, I remember all of us extras were calling each other, being like, they should have just asked us. We would have told you what was going on. But no, I was an extra. I paid that's how I paid my rent. I was non-union. So it was $54 for uh eight hours. And uh I was on so many, I mean, teen dramas. But the one show that I was on that was really freaking cool. And I don't know if people remember this show. It was on NBC and it was called American Dreams. Okay. And it was based in the 1960s. And I my extra part, if I if it could be called a part, is that I got to reenact scenes from American Bandstand and it, it was really cool like the girl it was set in uh, Philadelphia so the the main characters would go to American Bandstand and they would see the bands play and they would have modern bands reenact um scenes from old footage of American uh, of American Bandstand so i think like Richie Sambora played Eric Clapton um in, when he was in the Yardbirds we had Jennifer Love Hewitt as the um as Nancy Sinatra um, Hillary Duff was the Shangri-Las with her sister and our job was to dance around all these people. And it was re it was really like American bandstand, but the hair and makeup, I have photographs that I would take that I have from that time period. And they look like they're from the sixties. Like my hair was in huge beehive. They would put us in mini skirts, fake eyelashes, full on makeup where we would have to break for lunch and we would go to like the shopping center on Sunset Boulevard and I remember this one man, he was so confused because all the extras, we all would go to lunch together and everyone looked like Buddy Holly, you know, um, um, Ronnie Spector, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And I just, everyone was full up, out, out and done. And this guy goes, what are the, the Shana Nas in town? Like, it really <laughs> was very confusing to people because we were, there was like a hundred of us. And that was my favorite job in the whole entire world. It paid terribly, but it was one of the, the best jobs you could have at 21 years old living in Hollywood.
0: <laughs> that does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely have that kind of experience and say that you were part of something.
1: Yeah. I, I have clips of it too. Um, I, um, my husband found all of the clips where you can kind of see me and he made like a little reel of, of me like dancing and like, you know, just partying um to like all this like sixties music and so he made like a little reel of all my my teeny tiny clips where you can kind of see me in the background and we know it's us. No one else's but
0: <laughs> You won't make it an official demo reel or anything like that. A, you can go in if you look closely
1: <laughs> If yeah of my acting of my fine acting abilities. No, no no um but to really pay the rent I was also a waitress. So mm-hmm. and I worked at some really kitschy like seventies kind of there over um in the Hollywood Hills. It actually recently just closed, which really makes me sad. It was called the 101 coffee shop, so RIP 101 also. And I worked there for a few years. It was one of the best waitressing gigs I I I had in my my countertop. I mean, everybody came in. We had Selma Hayek came in, Brad Pitt speaking of came in, um uh Jimmy Franco Came in with James Franco. Um, Jason Statham, he was a big one. Table seven.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember any particular customers in the diner
1: that uh,
0: might have left a lasting impression for you?
1: Yeah. uh, Jimmy Franco, I didn't know he was an actor, but he was just so nice. He always sat at table one, um, which was our counter. Table one was just like one seat. And so when you're at the counter, you're always talking to whoever's there, you know, because you're just the proximity so close. And if it's kind of quiet, you know, it's the same people that come in. And so like one day I asked him, so what do you do for a living? And he's like, oh, I'm an actor. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's LA. Everyone's an actor. So you don't get, you're not impressed. <laughs> and um, I'm like, anything I've seen you in? And he's like, oh, I played James Dean in a TV movie. But at the time, he was already in Spider Man, which I f- found out in hindsight, like in retrospect, I found out right. later. And I'm like, "Oh, that's great! You know, really good luck on your acting." But he was like, <laughs> totally famous at the time, and it it occurred to me years later because I watched Spider Man with a friend, and I'm like, "Oh my god, there's Jimmy!" And he's like, "Jimmy." I'm like, "Yeah, table one, Jimmy, egg white omelet," with you know, like, he's like, "Yeah, he's like kind of super famous," and now I know he's like a superstar, you know, but, and that's the beauty, that was the beauty of this, this uh, restaurant. It was just so not pretentious and it wasn't, you know, it was just really a mom and pop kind of vibe. It had a jukebox and uh, you know, and Jason Statham was always a few seats down and he was really cool too, but he was, he told me he was like in action movies and I'm like, that's cool, you know.
0: (laughs) Was he didn't like threaten to beat anybody up? if like the coffee wasn't right or anything like that, right?
1: (laughs) No, no, he was just Sweetheart, really? They, I mean, they all really were really. I mean, everyone says actors are jerks, but I haven't had that experience. I actually found them delightful. The more famous I found, the nicer. It was always the ones who was like, who like made some role in some TV show that no one knows. Those guys were always kind of jerky, but it was like the real famous ones. They were always super cool.
0: Right. You, you didn't have to want to deal with the guy who like, don't you recognize me? I was boy with bag and E.T.
1: Yeah. You don't want to deal with that. Actually, I met Jennifer Lopez. She was really cool. Yeah. She was awesome. I, uh, a friend of a friend got an invitation to um, Ben Affleck's birthday party. And again, I was not invited. I'm just like the person who's like, I'm available. I can, I chaperone and come (laughs) to the party with you. And it was when they were together the first time around and The party was like really intimate. It was at like a club. And my friend goes to me, I dare you to go wish Ben a happy birthday. And I'm like, are you really daring me? You're going to double dog dare me. Okay. I'm going to wish him a happy birthday. And it was Ben and Jen. They were together. And so I went over. I'm like, hey guys. Hi Ben. Happy birthday. And he was like, so totally cool. Happy birthday. Thanks so much for coming. And... At one point, they kind of were looking at each other like, who the F is this? And that was when I was like, made my exit. I'm like, anyway, great party. And my friend and I went to the bar and we had a complimentary glass of champagne. We danced and uh, and then we went home. Jennifer Lopez is absolutely gorgeous, by the way. Like, I mean, we all know she is, but in person, it was like her skin was like liquid gold. And she smelled really good, too.
0: Yeah. It's not just the cameras on her. It's, it's just a natural glow for her
1: no yeah i think she's she's very very beautiful so that was that was nice to know you know it's nice to get confirmation i slept well that night knowing jennifer lopez was beautiful
0: (laughs) okay so we gotta talk about your work here before we talk a little bit more about j-lo and ben you're a music buff just like me and i guess was this that was the inspiration behind slanted
1: and disenchanted Yes, yes, I'm definitely a music buff. Um, My dad was a roadie for Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and he was a drummer. And um, so I grew up listening to like my mom really likes dance music and um, like Madonna and Prince, and then my dad really likes like prog rock and jazz. So I kind of have like my brain is split in two between like nerdy rock music and then like total pop music. So I try to get both of them into the book.
0: The book, I mean, and I think it's been uh, noted, like, it, it's definitely a, a, a pop culture reference uh, <laughs> <laughs> extravaganza.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I kind of like pulled in like old conversations I used to have in high school where it was just like a movie always came up or the album cover. Um or like slash from Guns N Roses. He always came up in conversation in high school. If I could think of one person that always came up, it would be like, oh, like slash. <laughs> like so I had to put slash in there in like some, you know, some comment because he was like such a like like standard for us. I guess maybe it's kind of like my Gen X side coming out, um like a 90s thing, but it was just always like slash like if someone played guitar, we'd be like, oh, well, he doesn't play like Slash. <laughs> like Slash is always the standard for hair, guitar, leather pants.
0: <laughs> what were some of your favorite bands?
1: Nirvana, 100%. Like, I'm not going to lie. I did cry when Kurt died. Um, my friends and I did like a candlelight vigil in her backyard on Long Island. And... um it was very traumatic. And our parents were like, who, who is this guy? <laughs> we we're so confused. <laughs> we were like, you guys don't understand. Kurt died. And they were like, who is he? Was he in seventh grade? Like, you know, whose class is he in? And we were just like, our parents don't understand anything. Um, so Nirvana was a big one. Of course, Pearl Jam. Um, we uh, Kurt Cobain's wife, whole- Courtney Love, was a mm-hmm. huge one for us. I mean... She was like the standard for us, like mid nineties girls. We, we loved her. I mean, I went to all her concerts. Um, and then, you know, I'm not going to lie. I kind of did, I did fall into the Spice Girls. I did like them. I know that's not rock, but I, you know, I got steuced by all the dancing around and everyone got to pick their own Spice Girl who was like them. I was, I identified Ginger. <laughs> um, but, uh, of course, Guns N' Roses love them um user illusion one and two is probably well i love two more than one but uh that's like a standard and like great rock albums and videos (laughs) holy the music videos like i'm the mtv generation so i mean anything that was on mtv whether it was like pop music or or grunge rock it you know it resonated and it like shaped who our generation is
0: Are are you like me that if somebody asks like a music trivia question and and you can just bang it out, the answer really fast and you're like, why don't you know (laughs) this?
1: It depends. Yeah, it depends. I'll like make like comments. I'll just be like, well, you know, like Steve Albini, clearly, you know, he, he produced that album because he's totally into mic placement. And I make all these like nerdy references and they're like, one, who's that? Steve Albini. And two, mic placement? I'm like, mic placement is very important. You can't just play with the knobs when you're a producer. The mics have to be Like so in the studio, which is what I learned reading about Steve Alvini. But, uh, yeah, I am constantly saying things and my husband, but even with classical music, I'll be like talking about something and I'm like, well, you know, at Chopin, he died of, you know, tuberculosis. And so I, you know, and I'll just reference like Chopin and just be like, what?
0: All right. We got to talk about the book now. (laughs) Now that we've gotten to know you a little bit more, why don't you let everybody know uh, kind of like a little synopsis about the book. So if they want to check it out.
1: Um, so it's called slanted and disenchanted, which is a play off the pavement album slanted and enchanted, which is one of my favorite albums growing up. And I like the idea, um, of being disenchanted because they, the two characters, it's, it's Carla and Pete and they're 20 years old. They're just about to turn 21. And it's sort of that moment in, in life where we're wondering like, are we adults yet? you know, you never quite know when we've technically turned adults, you know, yes, technically is when we're 18, we can vote, um, some countries you can drink and, but that doesn't mean anything, you know? And that's like the big theme of the book is like, what does it mean? What does adulting mean? And it alternates between the perspective of Pete and Carla where the idea is that I wanted the reader to be smarter than the characters. So we could see all the misunderstandings, but they don't because they respond to things differently and they see the same situation completely differently based on their, their experiences, their background, their upbringing, um, their gender. And so I really played with that kind of, he said, she said balance and the thing that brings them together is their love of pop music and rock. And I purposefully made them on different ends of the spectrum of rock. So he's into like fish, the grateful dead, Miles Davis, Art Blakey, um, Zeppelin, just that real, you know, progressive jam band, classic rock. And I had her on the other end, feminist rock, riot girl, um, punk, and they kind of have this kind of like battle of the bands kind of feel to it, which is super fun because it reminds me also of growing up where all the boys listen to this like this jammy stuff and us like punky girls were like, oh my God, this is how? why is this song 12 minutes long? <laughs> they can't get to the point in two minutes and 33 seconds like every other punk band. <laughs> and I actually like both sides of them. So I was able to like play with that debate because I see both sides. I understand why is a song 12 minutes long? That's, that's, you know, excessive, but then maybe it can be because it's influenced by jazz and bluegrass and, um and other, there's other influences in it that makes it 12 minutes long. And so I definitely play with that. There's tons of nineties, you know, pop culture references from like, you know the movie my girl i don't think you're there yet maybe not um the movie my girl which was such a like a movie that was always on hbo growing up and for all of us we were just saying it's such a sad movie and i'm not going to tell anyone what happens but the kid from home alone isn't it it's really sad and um And you know, the soul asylum video with all the missing children that was always on TV and it was very scary and we were always scared of like vans driving down the street because we're like, Are we gonna be in the soul asylum video? So I kind of played with some of these pop culture references and it's funny, the response that I got from readers, they were like, Oh my god, yes, I was scared of vans too after the soul asylum video, and it's so satisfying to like meet other readers on the internet who are like, yes, I completely remember having this same exact conversation with my best friend in like 1994. And it's just so cool because I feel like I'm like creating this like community of like, you know, 90s nostalgists, not that we're stuck in the past, but we're just kind of laughing at how, you know, kind of dramatic everything felt. So, and then they go on a cross country road trip, you know, a, a big tragedy happens in our country or the world, however you want to look at it. And that's kind of serves as a catalyst on them being like, okay, why don't we head face first into being in an adult and, To them, that means getting into a a rusty van, a rusty Buick and driving across country to do a kind of greasy dive bar tour. And on the road, they learn about who they are and they come into themselves. They find each other, but they also find themselves and answer some questions that they're going to have to, you know, work through even more in the sequel.
0: It's really a story that's I think very well suited to being an audiobook which is what you gave me the link to by the way so everybody's wondering because as you said you know there's a lot of he said she said perspectives and you hear the, the two different voices in the book expressing that where where they they relive an event and you know they both look at it they both have that different perspective on it
1: yeah, the the audiobook is great because it does. I mean, the book itself has like the cinematic quality. So I've been told that's the big uh, that was like a big comment coming back from early readers and and current readers. And uh, so once I heard that, I wasn't going to do an audiobook. But then once I heard how like cinematic it was, I was like, all right, let's do an audiobook. And the casting was really. It took a long time finding the voices because everyone was good but not quite what the voice is called for. And I did play with getting uh, um, actors that had New York accents and mm-hmm. I couldn't find anyone. I had people do the New York accent, but it wasn't authentic and it seemed uh, almost comical. Right. So I just said, okay, just scratch it. And I had act- had actors who have more of a neutral accent and they they killed it. I'm really, really happy with both actors. They were a delight to work with and they... They really worked with me because there were a lot of cultural references too, because Pete is French American and Carla is Italian American. So it's like there are parts of our culture that like foods we eat that aren't in the, you know, in the English language, like brajol. <laughs> and <laughs> she, my, the actress, she's not from New York. So I mean, like I had to literally record myself saying these were like these, these words and be like brajol, spoyatel. <laughs> with the New York accent, too. I don't
0: know if this was intentional or not when you when you did the book, but I find it interesting that Carla works in a photo developing store because a lot of the book really is like a snapshot of, of a lot of different things, not just the music scene of like of Long Island, of suburbia. At, you know, at that point in time and it, I just thought it was odd that out of all the jobs that she had, you know, she, she's the one developing the pictures and that's how they come together. As a matter of fact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted a good job that doesn't exist today mm-hmm. to just really place the reader into like the late nineties, 2000, it takes place in 2000, but I, I wanted to put the reader there without so much saying it showing and not telling. And then also I pulled from my own background That's what I did after school. I worked in a Photoshop and the scene that is in the book is a real scene that truly, truly happened. Somebody dropped dirty pictures off at the, at my, my photo store. Um, a cute boy didn't come in that didn't happen, (laughs) but I was just developing the film and I was with my boss who the boss in the book is based on my real boss and him and I were like bumping into each other as these dirty pictures were being developed in the machine behind us and coming down the little carousel in the window. And we were so scared that people were going to come in and or children. And I was so embarrassed when the guy came back and got the pictures. I mean, today I could have called the police, but this was 1999. So I just, you know, I was 17. I was so embarrassed. And so that's, that was true, a real scene.
0: There definitely seems to be some inside jokes about being Italian, about the family talks loud. Well, they're not arguing. They're just having a conversation.
1: <laughs> that was my, yeah, that was my little wink at my Italian upbringing. Like Thanksgiving at our house, that was a true Thanksgiving. Like we didn't have turkey. We had like manicotti. Somebody had to pick up the prosciutto at Glen Cove and the mozzarella. There was the, the roasted uh, um, peppers and it was just kind of like, why are we even calling it Thanksgiving? Can we just call it we're eating all together? <laughs> it's just a meal. And I had to go downstairs and get the leaf from the, the basement. It was this huge thing to, to make the table big. And everyone's screaming across the table. My grandfather was like, my grandfather at some point would get mad at my cousins because they would complain about something. And then all of a sudden, World War II would come up and we were talking about Normandy. My grandfather was at Omaha Beach. So then World War II would come up and we're talking about D-Day and it's Thanksgiving and my cousins have no patience. And it just, yeah, that was a pretty much a typical meal at my family's house that I had to just bring to life because it is so funny to me. Even living it, I'm just like, this is my family. This is my family. And uh so yeah.
0: Did you have the other Italian things like the towels in the bathroom that you're not allowed to use and the room that you can't go in because that's for company?
1: Yes, we did have the we had the towels we couldn't use in the in the powder room. then we had um the couch that we couldn't sit on in the living room, but we could sit in the solarium. we couldn't sit in the living room we could sit in the solarium, and the reason why it was a solarium was because there was one skylight over. <laughs> <laughs> There's one tiny skylight in the ceiling, and that was the that's what brought all the sun in. Yeah, and then oh my god, we did cure um, prosciutto and and meats in our garage, and I did go to school smelling like cured meats, and I did have one of my teachers sniffing my hair because she could smell on um, in my hair, and she announced that to the entire class, and I was mortified because I smelled like cured pork product. In the sixth grade, so that <laughs> happened. All that in the book that all happened. <laughs> well,
0: kids can usually smell a lot worse at that age. So if you smell like so that's that's not too bad.
1: <laughs> My teachers seemed to be really excited about it. My family was in the food business, so she'd always ask. She'd be like, "What's going on at the store?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I'm 12. I don't know. I, I really, I just, I just want people not to make fun of me. <laughs> that's all I want." <laughs>
0: And and for the the listeners out there who are from Long Island, as as we said, Lisa lived in Long Island a good portion of her life. And a lot of the book you said is pretty much a love letter to Long Island from the places that you would go.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, like I, I poke fun at Long Island a little bit. Um, but, you know, I all the places that are in the in the book and little references are completely real. Like um, there's one reference I make to um Pete's dad flirting with the French lady at the uh, at the music school that was on Hillside Avenue. That was a real place. That's where I learned how to play guitar. It was this little music school that's actually now a Ralphs. It became a florist and then now it's now it's a Ralphs Ice. And um the woman she chain smoked. She read French fashion magazines and all the women were topless. And I was 12, 13 and I would go with my little classical acoustic guitar and you know learn my scales. And uh, her name was Lisette, which I did put in the book. That's her true name because I, I don't know if she's still with us. I don't know anything. And that was like my little homage to her because she was so special to me. And I had gone to this little music school for three years and then I stopped going and then I went, moved to California. And then when I came back, it was Ralph's. So um, the, the um, store where they jam out in the music store, that's a real store that's still there. Um, it's changed names a few times so I don't know what the name of it is now but I tried to keep true. Hildebrand's there's the one old-fashioned diner from the 50s that still exists is on Hillside Avenue and that's where they get ice cream together on their 21st birthday so I really tried to you know I don't immortalize places that were really special to me and um when I was home on Long Island, uh, over the summer, I stopped into these places and I brought them a book just to say, you know, you guys are in a book and I hope you like it. And I hope I did the business justice and, uh, it's in a book forever now. So.
0: It's also, like I said, what about a photograph, a a really good photograph of suburbia too, because you make a lot of reference to like, well, I had to stop and get coffee. We had to go to the mall. We took the train into the
1: city. Yeah, definitely. There's so yeah, definitely stopping to get coffee. And then it's like there's so many places you can go. You know, when you, you get in your car, you there's like you pass four or five delis on the on the way to your deli. You know, you can go to any you know but you have your specific places and it's like what I said about the bakeries in France I think in New York we have the same thing with delis like we have our deli where we know the guys behind the counter we know they're going to make a nice sandwich that's going to have enough meat on it <laughs> we know uh, my deli that I like on Long Island they wrap my iced coffee in uh, in plastic wrap so it doesn't condense all over my car like that's that's an important detail but it's not important for everyone and maybe they go to the deli closer because they they get hot coffee but who knows?
0: With these characters, like we said, it's kind of a little bit of you, you know, interspersed in obviously your, your life growing up in there. What do you think that they would be like today?
1: That's such an awesome question. I, you know, when we were all in confinement, I was finishing the book and I was like, what? How are my characters dealing with this right now? You know? And I was writing like, kind of like mental fan fiction about like what they were, what they were doing. And I, you know and like politically well politically i know exactly where they are but i'm not going to get into that um but you know i always see things that are happening in 2020 2021 22 and i'm like imagining how each one are going to you know respond to it and because they're so ingrained in In my brain and who I am. I know exactly how they're going to respond to things. I know the dialogue. But during the confinement, I had them in France in the uh, little region um, where Pete comes from, which is Alsace, which is on the border of Germany. And it's such an interesting part of um, French history because it has gone back and forth between being occupied between France and Germany. So, you know, everyone has a French first name, but their last names are very German sounding and the architecture is very Germanic and they have their own language, which is Alsatian. And when I go there, I did a lot of research. I spent a lot of time in that region. And learning about it, learning history, because it's not close to Paris at all. It's about six, a six-hour drive. And I picked this region because I wanted to learn something while I was writing. I could have had him come from Paris, but I just said, you know what, let's try something new. Let's learn something while writing the book. And um, so, yeah, during the confinement, I had them in Alsace and on a farm and just isolated with their guitars Maybe their children. I don't know. And uh, and lots of animals.
0: I forgot to mention at the beginning of the interview how this interview actually came to be. Could you tell the story of like how we uh, ended up setting
1: up this interview? I now I'm on the spot because I actually forgot the name of the, um, the, the trombonist, right? Oh, oh, Aubrey Logan. Yes. Yes. That's, I, I was just on, um, I love jazz, you know, and I like when Spotify recommends other artists who aren't like the most famous. So I just kept going through the recommendations. Like I'll keep pressing and I found, I found her and I, and it's a woman, you know, everything was, was men, you know, all jazz musicians and, I think she's incredible because she is... She's really in a man's world. I mean, there's not many women who are playing, you know, this kind of music. And so I just wanted to know a little bit more about her because, you know, writing a book about musicians, like, and especially a female guitarist who knows how to, you know, knows her instrument so well. I wanted to like learn a little bit more about, you know, a musician who also knows her instrument well and I came across her podcast and she was such a delight on the show too. And so I felt really like satisfied to know that she was as cool as her music. She really is. <laughs> that wasn't careful. She was just that cool. She was just a lot of
0: fun to speak with and just a very down to earth person. She's pregnant, by the way.
1: Oh, that's great. Oh, well, I know you don't know me, but con- congratulations from another mom in France. I have a, I have a six year old. So it's, it's, it's a party. <laughs>
0: So Lisa had heard the podcast interview with the Aubrey and then she said, I I would like to come on your show and talk about my book. And I said,
1: absolutely. You were so great. You got back to me. Thank you. Really. I mean, I was so happy to hear from you because it's just, I I don't know. I like meeting other uh, hosts of, you know, podcasts who are just like putting their, you know, just putting themselves out there and like sharing with us, you know, musicians, writers, artists that we probably wouldn't know about otherwise. Because I mean, we can go on any website and read about the most famous person, Billy Eilish, and 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 they're great. But I also want to know what other people are doing who don't have, you know, the the muscle behind, uh, you know, the publicity. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I love this like podcast culture we're in right now because we're all learning so much.
0: Yeah, And that's what I love about it too. You know, that there are people who get to tell their stories and you literally have a book and another book coming out, obviously, and you get to promote as well. We'll, we'll get to the promotion part in a second. Don't worry. I didn't forget.
1: No, this is fun. I, I just, I love talking about all these, like these stories. It's, you know, it's not every day I can talk about when I was young and, and, you know, carefree in meeting Jennifer Lopez, you know, I bring, or, you know, I'll tell my son this story and he'll just be like, what's for dinner. <laughs> Please don't say veggies again.
0: The the next book, you're, you're working on it right now. When should people expect to release? Any uh, time frame yet?
1: I'm shooting for spring 2023. Um, okay. But okay. knowing the publishing industry, it's probably going to be closer to summer, which is fine because it's set in a place with warm weather, is all I'm going to say. So maybe it'll be a fun beach read. And, and it is. It is. I uh, definitely... You know, in book one, I kind of held back on some of the experiences because, you know, when we are living with our parents, we aren't as expressive in so many aspects of adulthood. So in book two, I will share that they won't be living with their parents and then they'll be probably be a little more involved in their adult life. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. That's my, that's my G-rated response.
0: The book is very enjoyable. I, like I said to Lisa, I, I'm up to like the eighth chapter. I haven't gotten to the, the deep part. I'm about to the part where the two characters, Carla and Pete, meet. And they, and they start playing together. And obviously, there's a lot more going on that's going to happen after that. And furthermore, obviously, in the sequel. We don't usually do this part on the Shepard Screening Room. But I know because you, because you like the show, I wanted to give you the opportunity to do a little shameless self-promotion. Bum, 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 bum. shameless self promotion
1: shameless self promotion
0: and you can let uh everybody know how they can follow you and uh and find out about the book as well
1: well, I'm on all of the social media platforms. I actually just joined TikTok. I can't believe I did it. It makes me feel very old. <laughs> At least, I, you know, once I realize I don't have to dance around, I I'm not going to do it. I'm not filming myself dancing around. Okay, I became a writer, so I didn't have to do that. There are ways around being an author on TikTok without making an ass of yourself. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> That's I, what I told people. I, mean, I said, I'm on TikTok. I said, but you know, I'm not dancing. You don't want to see that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is that? Is that like a requirement for the, for the platform? Like every time they'll be like, they recommend like for you and everyone's dancing around. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like it's embarrassing. So anyway, I'm on all the platforms. It's Lisa C. Michaud, which is M I C H A U D. And I'm on Instagram, I'm Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and I answer all comments and messages because I love I love talking. If if no one noticed, I I like I like chatting. So (laughs) I I talk my husband to sleep at night. He's like, Are we done talking? And I'm like, wait, I I still have seven more minutes of content. Can I just talk a little more? He's like, Okay, go. (laughs) So yeah, Lisa C. Mishad at all, you know, all of those um social media platforms are lisa so
0: since you've written about it and you're over there in paris is is there any little thing that you miss about living on the united states
1: um yeah um i do i miss sarcasm (laughs) no i'm joking no i'm joking the french are very sarcastic um well, yeah. I'm, I miss... This is going to just sound so stupid, but it's a small thing. I, I miss the supermarket being open on Sunday. I am outside of Paris, actually. So now now we're going to get into where I am. I'm 45 minutes. I call it Long Island, France. I'm on the French i r r outside of Paris. So we take a 45-minute train and we're in like this really small, cute, medieval village. But everything's closed on Sunday. So it's like... Which is great, you know. It's a day of rest, and but you know, if you don't have eggs or milk, you're just like, okay, just gotta wait till Monday. And some places in France, everything's closed on Monday too. So we're lucky. So, but, so um, do you do
0: you do the quick refrigerator scan on Saturday night,
1: like quick milk, eggs, bread. <laughs> We do. No, no, we do. Saturday is like, my son hates it. We have to go, we go grocery shopping on Saturday. We went this morning and he's like, why do we always have to go grocery shopping on Saturday? And I'm like, because everything's closed on Sunday. Like I'm so my, I'm turning into my mom, like (laughs) everything's closed on Sunday. And he's just like, oh, okay. And, um, so I mean, that's such a crappy answer. I wish I had something a little juicier. Um, oh, the internet. If everyone watches Netflix in our on our street, we can't watch Netflix. It'll just keep turning, rotating, and it won't connect. Our internet's a little um, medieval. <laughs> if I could say that.
0: I think the French government's gonna have to get on that, Lisa.
1: <laughs> they're right. Well, we have our elections coming in May, so I think they're a little busy, and it's gonna be a it's gonna be a juicy one. I don't. Follow one hundred percent, but I just know when my my father in law starts pounding his fist on the, on the table, things are get, getting crazy. So
0: <laughs> okay, all right. So we've been talking to Lisa Zarina Machad, the author of Slanted and Disenchanted, and you can get the book on anywhere where books are sold, right?
1: Yeah, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, your independent bookstore will order it. Um, we work with. Um, Indie bound. So if you want to go order it from an indie bookstore, you can uh, put your zip code in and the indie bookstore closest to you will order it and it'll come that way. But I mean, it's uh, Apple books, Google books. It's, it's everywhere. It's
0: all there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a real treat.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, you know what? Can you, before we let you go, could you, could you do a French Viva La Revolution"?
1: <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, Viva la révolution!
0: Re- Re- <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't win me over in France, I don't know what will. It'll be me and Jerry Lewis.
1: <laughs> oh my God, they love Jerry Lewis here. How do you know that? <laughs> it's like a huge thing here. How do you know that? My lady, I wrote the book. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for coming, Lisa.
1: Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup et au revoir.
0: We're on that internet thingy at SherpaLution.com. Thank you so much to Lisa Zarina Mashad, the author of Slanted and Disenchanted, for coming by the Sherpa Chalet. And I had a blast talking to her. And be sure to check out her book, whether it's on paper or audiobook The audiobook is really great, and it's just a wonderful story. Definitely not one for the little kids, but uh, an enjoyable adult novel. You can maybe have an adult beverage after you finish it. I don't know. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. (laughs) Okay. So next week, we will be back in the Sherpa screening room, and we will be speaking with another author. Her name is Kristen Stovall, and we'll be talking about her fantasy novels and... In the meantime, Monsieur Bruce, it is time to say au revoir. And don't forget, you can hear my show on any of your favorite podcast apps or SherpaLution.com, which is also where you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and yes, TikTok. Till next time, folks, I can't say it as nice as she can, but viva la SherpaLution. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce and this has been a Sherpa Lou Studios production.
1: Viva la Sherpa Lou!